Shall we pray and look at God's word together? Father, we thank you, Lord, that we can worship you. And uh, Lord, we're all different people this morning from different parts of the country, perhaps uh, different stages of life. Lord, we've all got different things that we've done that we shouldn't have done. Lord, but one thing we have in common, that we all have baggage. We all have things, Lord, that we, that we have in our life that linger in the background, that bother us, Lord, 10, 15, even 20 years later. And we pray this morning as we think of um, Zacchaeus, Lord, that you will bless this message and that, Lord, you would just speak to whoever in this room needs to hear what you have to say to them. Father, we want to open hearts and we ask your Holy Spirit to move mightily and that we would just, Lord, come more and more into your kingdom and you would make us more like your son, Jesus Christ. Bless us now, we pray, as we look at your word together. In Jesus' name, amen. We've got to get one thing sorted out, actually. Um, <clears throat> I was going to pronounce his name um, Zacchaeus. Uh, Daphne has come and confused me by calling him Zacchaeus. Uh, Zacchaeus. And uh, so, in fact, this straw poll. Hands up for Zacchaeus. Okay, we'll go for Zacchaeus then. Fantastic. Let me ask you another question. Um, that's probably the last joke, by the way. So you can just pretend, just laugh or whatever. Um, we're going to look at Zacchaeus and his story in Luke 19. If you've got it open, that would be great to, just to have it just to refer to. Hang on. Sorry. But let me ask you a question. Can a person change? It's a rhetorical question. You can amen if you like or put your hand out or whatever. But can a leopard ever really change his or her spots? Can a person ever really be different? Can a person who's made such a mess of their lives and done so many things that they shouldn't do and it becomes such a habit in their life with such baggage, can a person like that ever really change? Many of us feel like as we go through life that perhaps we collect experiences and occasionally wisdom, um, although not as much as we'd like. We all collect baggage, don't we? Baggage that we don't feel we can put down. We feel like the guy with the bag of potatoes, carrying around experiences, things that we've done wrong, things that we've said, relationships that we've ruined, hearts that we've broken, things that we've looked at, things that we've done when no one's been watching, baggage that shames us, that when we look at ourselves in the mirror, we don't like the man or woman that looks back. I wonder if you know that feeling of in the morning waking up and looking at the person in the mirror and just thinking, I hate you. You're horrible. And then wondering how on earth... Did I become this guy or this woman? I wonder if we all know that experience. How did I become that guy? I had such plans for my life. I was going to be great. I was going to be good and great. But now look at me. I'm the guy with the baggage. And if anyone found out what I've done, they would hate me like I hate myself. In this church, at least, let me tell you, that's not true. If you have baggage that you're ashamed of, I can guarantee you... um, I certainly won't think any less of you. And if anyone in this church or this morning, if you're visiting, needs to have a chat about something you're genuinely ashamed of, then do it. No one will look down on you for it. I certainly won't. Jesus most definitely won't. But we look at that guy in the mirror, that woman in the mirror, and we think to ourselves, right, in our stronger moments, I'm going to be better. I'm going to stop doing it, and I'm going to be a better guy. And we try, don't we? We don the mask and the persona that says to the world around us, I'm all right, I'm fine. If I could ban one word, from Eng- two words in the English language, it would be the word nice and the word fine. How blah are those two words? How do you like it? It was nice. Oh, my word. It's rubbish then, clearly. How are you feeling today? I'm fine. Ooh, really? Only fine. You should be brilliant. But people just say, I'm fine, I'm all right, I'm okay. 
And we don that mask because we've got that baggage and we just want to put that mask on that just says, I'm all right. But every time we try and do a bit better, every time we mess up when we try to not stop messing up, we end up despising that face in the mirror just a tiny bit more. And if we're not careful, that process can end up being fatal. A friend of mine, I say friend, sort of an acquaintance, but I knew him a little bit about 10 years ago, took his own life. He was fine. He was happy, in fact, at times. Laughed and joked with us. We saw him. I didn't see him now. Whenever I saw him, he was always there. He cooked and did great things, quite a creative guy. And then I heard the terrible news that he'd gone to the back of his garden and taken his life. And he struggled with just not liking who he was, self-loathing. And in the end, it became fatal. And if you hear nothing else this morning, do not leave this place with a fatal dose of self-loathing because Jesus died so that you could put it down. He died so you could be more than fine, better than nice, good, clean, changed. But what if change was really possible? What if it was possible to put down the baggage that we've been carrying around for one year, 10 years, 80 years, perhaps, what if it was possible to wake up in the morning and look at that face and actually think he's all right after all? I quite like him, actually, like other people do. The world promises uh, lots of answers to our baggage. It promises that if we have more stuff, we'll be happier, we'll be better. If we do more exercise, then we'll be better in ourselves. If we have more money, then everything will be fine. If we have more sex, that will definitely solve everything. If you, don't, you haven't worked it out yet, sex solves everything, apparently. It sells cars, perfume, holidays, uh, like pet food, I think, probably as well. Everything. Nothing sex doesn't fix, except it doesn't fix anything. If it's not done in a loving relationship with someone you're committed to. But the world promises, do more of that, and then that'll make you happy. More fun, more pleasure. Have more weekends away with your mates, that'll fix you. But none of it does. And whilst it's true that beauty only goes skin deep, most of our world's solutions to our baggage doesn't go much deeper. Real transformation can never come from the outside in. Real change must start from the inside out. When Jesus is denouncing the Pharisees and the teachers of the law in Matthew 26, verse 25 to 26, he says something really interesting about the human heart. He says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You clean the outside of the cup and the dish. But inside, they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the dish, and then the outside will be clean also. So often we go the wrong way around. We clean the outside. We become ripped and muscular and tanned and all that sort of stuff. Yet the inside is dormant and wrecked. Jesus says you've got to clean the inside. You've got to sort the inside out, not the outside in. The world only offers us outside-in solutions. Jesus offers us inside-out solutions. And that's where Jesus comes in. He came preaching the good news of the kingdom of God we hear in the Gospels. And he came with a very clear message, God's kingdom is coming, get ready. But part of that get ready message was this clear command to repent of our sin. In other words, to be forgiven, to know the forgiveness that he came to bring. He came with a message of forgiveness and freedom and renewal and change, not through a program of self-help opportunities and activities where a person really, really, really tries to be better. But by knowing Christ, his crucifixion, his resurrection, and knowing the forgiveness of God on the inside and it flowing out. 
And Jesus' ministry was truly amazing. He walked all over uh, that part of Israel and he set people free from their baggage every single day. In fact, we haven't got the full list of people that Jesus set free. I'd love to know all the people, all the stories of people that he set free. But we just have what we need for our salvation. There are two that I'd like to read to you. We're not going to look at them, but I love them anyway. And since I'm up here, um, I want to read them to you. Um, stop me if you like. But we're going to read just John 8. And this is the story of a woman um, caught in adultery. And she's there, she's hated, she's vilified by the crowd, and Jesus offers her forgiveness. John writes in John chapter 8, says, Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn he appeared again in the temple courts, where all the people gathered around him. He sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. In the law of Moses, we must stone her. Now, what do you say? And they were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started writing in the ground with his finger. And when they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, If any one of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground that at this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she says. Well, then neither do I condemn you. Go leave. Go and leave your life of sin. That's one of my most favorite stories in the New Testament. A woman that's been... uh, caught in the act of adultery you'll notice the absence of a man um, so it's clearly um, not all above board but they want to say come on condemn her come on but Jesus offers to forgive her instead and then in Luke chapter 7 verse um, 36 to 50 again another story which I love um, in the New Testament Jesus anointed by a sinful woman it's titled in NIV it says now one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him so he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table when a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. She brought an alabaster jar of perfume and as she stood behind him with his, with, at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them and poured perfume on them. And when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, He would know who was touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she's a sinner. Jesus answered, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he says. Two men owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii, the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he cancelled the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt cancelled. You've judged correctly, Jesus answered. He turned to the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman has not stopped from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who has forgiven little, loves little 
And then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. And the other guests began to say among themselves, who is this? He even forgives sin. And the woman, Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. How brilliant is that story for us? And we like those two stories, don't we? When we think about forgiveness, we quite like stories like that. We've got a lot of sympathy for the woman caught in adultery and the woman who was clearly into sort of prostitution or that kind of thing because we don't despise them. We feel sorry for them. We wonder what mistakes they'd made, what had gone wrong in their lives. We watch them being despised by their culture, hating themselves, self-loathing. And we love it when they meet Jesus Christ and he says, you're forgiven, go away and stop sinning. When he kind of stands them up, And when he forgives them, both those women, they're transformed, they're stood up. Condemnation vanishes, hope emerges, change replaces self-loathing. But there's one story that we've already read, the story of Zacchaeus, that I really believe is important to look at together this morning because it shows that God's forgiveness is much wider than we might realise because we don't mind certain people being forgiven. I don't mind that person being forgiven because I feel sorry for them. But here Zacchaeus, we're going to look at in a minute, is a guy that you wouldn't think God should forgive. Here is an odious man, horrible guy. Why should God like him and forgive him? But Christ does just that. And so we'll read again Luke 19, 1 to 10, the story of Zacchaeus, the tax collector. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see Jesus, but being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. So he ran ahead, climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached a spot, he looked up and said, Zacchaeus, Come down immediately, I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him greatly. Oh, gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, He's gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here I am, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house. Because this man too is the son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and save what was lost. He describes a chief tax collector, Zacchaeus. What was a chief tax collector? Well, the Romans, you'll know, um, occupied all of that region and quite a lot of the world at this time, 2,000 years ago. And uh, so they, they occupied Israel, where Jesus was. And of course, they wanted money. Like all good empires, you take money from the poor and uh, you boost up your own economy and uh, your own taxation. So they had, they had this ingenious system of taxing people in different countries. And they would have tax collectors. And what they would do with these tax collectors is they would have a whole load of them in a city or a town or a village. And they would know everybody in their area. And they would know what they earned, what they brought in with their business, and know how much exactly they should be taxed, or how much they could fleece them for. Unfortunately, they were quite an unscrupulous bunch, some of them, and uh, they would take a bit more and put it in their back pocket. And Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector, so he had a whole load of tax collectors underneath him that he was in charge of. It was the ultimate um, pyramid system. And the reason it was so clever by the Romans was it meant that these conquered people they had would turn on each other rather than them, and they got their money in the process. And so Zacchaeus would have been completely hated by everybody. They would have looked at him as a traitor. He would have taken money off his friends, his family, his neighbours perhaps. And he would have been seen as supporting the enemy, not helping the cause to get rid of them. 
And you get a real sense of how the crowd feel in verse 7. Um, Luke emphasizes how short he is, but he also emphasizes the fact that he can't see Jesus because the crowd, presumably, aren't letting him through. There's no way you're going through, mate, not your sort, you can go to the back. And so he kind of can't look, so he runs up the road to find Jesus and he climbs up the tree. And you get a real sense of what the crowd think of Zacchaeus when Jesus stops and says, I'm going to come to your house today. And the crowd mumble and they grumble and they say, he's going for dinner at a sinner's house. How can you go around his house for dinner? He's a terrible man. And you see, we have sympathy for the prostitute on the woman caught in adultery. We don't mind them being forgiven. But Zacchaeus was an odious little man. He had no redeeming features. A man that was out for self. Think of the stereotypical MP that we love to trot through things like Newsnight. The one that employs half his family, flips his second home, and claims all sorts of ridiculous things on his uh, inc- expenses. That's the kind of guy Zacchaeus was. And that's the strength of feeling people would have had against him. During the banking crisis a few years ago, think of the strength of feeling on the media when we love to use the word banker in a negative way, as if all bankers were the spawn of the devil himself. Of course not. But we love to just say they're horrible people, out for themselves, ruining the economy for everybody else. But that was Zacchaeus. He was that guy. So no one would want him to be forgiven by God. He had no sympathy, no friends. And yet as Jesus walks past, he stops He looks up and he utters those amazing words. Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. Something changed. And whilst it doesn't say that he asked for forgiveness, we know that something changed, that he was forgiven of his sin because at the end Jesus declares salvation has come to this house. He is a son of man, a son of Abraham. And Luke emphasizes how short he was at the beginning of the story, but by the end he emphasizes the fact that he's standing up For the first time in years, he's now standing up amongst his contemporaries. He's back where he should be. He's not kind of the short one no one can see. He's up on his feet. He's where he should be. Once he was ignored by the crowd, now he's called a son of Abraham by Jesus Christ. And the biggest change in his life once he receives the forgiveness of Jesus is from himself. He says, look, Lord, in verse 8, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. What amazing transformation. As Christ cleaned him on the inside through forgiveness, new life literally burst out from within him. And what's most amazing is that this man was pursued by Jesus himself. He didn't look to be forgiven. Christ looked to forgive him. And at the end, he says, for the Son of Man came to seek and save what was lost. And whilst the crowd had washed him off probably as a lost cause, Jesus grabbed hold of him and changed him and forgave him and saved him. And he showed in that moment that the scope of God's forgiveness knows absolutely no limits. God is not passive in offering change to us. Christ was active in finding Zacchaeus. And today, perhaps you've already looked in the mirror this morning. And perhaps you've already looked at that person that you already despise. And maybe when you looked in the mirror this morning, you saw all the things that you did last night, or last week, or a month ago, or a year ago. Maybe you've already thought all those things. I hate you. And maybe you can hear other people saying it to you. Let me tell you, Jesus can forgive you. 
let me tell you, there's nothing that you've done that Jesus can't forgive you for. That if you come to him this morning and say, sorry, he will wipe the slate clean. The baggage will go. Because he came for that purpose. He didn't come to start a dull religion. He came to change the world one heart at a time by forgiving even the dirtiest person on this planet. Right now, let me tell you, he is pursuing every single one of you with a chance to change, to be cleansed on the inside. And let me tell you as well, it is no coincidence that any of you are here this morning hearing this. It is no coincidence. It is not for someone else. It is for you. Jesus is standing up, the Bible says, and he's looking at you. Right now, he's looking at you, offering you a chance to come in and eat with him and know real forgiveness in your life. He already knows the darkest corners of your life and he already is desperate to get in there and clean it for you. He is desperate to get into that place that you've not let anybody in and offer you forgiveness because only he can. He wants to heal and cleanse you and forgive you and then he wants to stand you up so that you are 10 feet tall. But you and me have to ask forgiveness for him to forgive us. And in fact, let me tell you what you should be doing every morning and every evening before you go to bed and I should do it as well. In fact, I do is you should be saying, Lord, forgive me for my sin. And when you go to bed, you should say, Lord, forgive me for my sin. Because if you don't, it just sits there. It gets in the way. The inside of the cup is dirty. You clean the outside, but God will only clean the inside if you ask him. So I want to respond to this. I'm going to ask the music group just to play, or maybe just Michael, just something soft on the piano. And what I want to do is I just want to read uh, some verses from the Bible. Before we do that, um, he's just going to play something very softly. And uh, just going to read some verses that talk about forgiveness. And we're going to have a gap in between. I'm going to ask you to stay seated. And I want you to do something very intentional, very deliberate. Because if you've come in this place this morning thinking that you've not done anything wrong and you've not sinned, you can start with the sin of pride um, and lying, perhaps. Because we've all done things we shouldn't. I put my hand up. I've done terrible things, things I'm ashamed of. And I love the fact that I can ask Jesus Christ to forgive me every day. And I thank him above all the things I thank him for. That he cleans me on the inside. So what I'm going to ask you to do is I read these verses. We're going to leave a gap. You can shut your eyes if you want to. And when you've thought of something or something's come into your heart that you think, yeah, that's the thing I need to ask Jesus to forgive me for. And you pray in your mind quietly to yourself. I ask you just to stand up when you've done that. So if you've been touched by a verse or you've prayed a prayer of forgiveness just stand up and the reason we're standing up when you've done that is because as Zacchaeus met Jesus and was forgiven he stood up because he'd not been stood up for such a long time and Jesus wants you to stand up and be 10 feet tall and be forgiven I hope that makes sense so when a verse touches you or you pray just a prayer of forgiveness you may want to shut your eyes actually make it a bit more uh, personal just stand up when you've done some, responded in some way. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18 says this Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be like wool. 
Just think about that for a second. Isaiah 43, verse 25. I, even I, am the one, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and remembers your sins no more. Acts 13, verse 9. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Corinthians chapter 5 verse 17 therefore if anyone is in Christ he is a new creation the old has gone the new has come Ephesians 1 7 in him We have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace. John chapter 1 verse 9 our final verse if we confess with our sins confess our sins he is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness just take a moment and if you're asking God for forgiveness just encourage you to stand as a sign that he's forgiven you
Father God, we thank you, Lord, that you love the world so much. That, Lord, even so often our hearts just don't even like you. Couldn't care less about what you want to do in our lives. That, Father God, so often we chase more. We don't chase you, Father. So often we chase what the world offers. Father God, we thank you that even the hardest heart is loved by you. We thank you, Lord, that John 3.16 isn't just for Christians. Lord, it's for those who don't know you. Lord, that we can not perish if we trust in Jesus Christ. And Father God, each one of us here this morning has done things we shouldn't have done. Lord, it may be something that happened 20 years ago, and we still feel a real pang of guilt. We're carrying around that bag with us every day. Lord, maybe that guilt has clouded our relationships, Lord, clouded our judgment, clouded, Lord, our personality and our character. Father, maybe some even here this morning are thinking that the end must be near because they really can't stand who they are. They've done too a terrible a thing. Father God, my heart breaks for them. I long that they might know the freedom in Christ that he brings through his spirit, his death and resurrection on the cross. Father God, we thank you that you stand us up. Lord, that when we ask forgiveness, Lord, you scoop us up and you lift us up and you put us back on our feet. And Lord, you make us whole. We thank you, Lord, that even if our sin is like scarlet, a deep red, it can be white as snow. Lord, we claim that promise. Lord, we, we, we tell the devil to be gone in Jesus' name. Because, Lord, he longs to remind us of our past. As my friend's t-shirt said, when the devil reminds you of your past, remind him of his future. Because, Lord, he has no future. But your kingdom will come forever and ever and ever. And we thank you, Father, for that. Thank you for the joy of forgiveness. And, Lord, just as we sing now together, may your spirit work in us in Jesus' name. Amen.